and turn with me to Hebrews and chapter 3. While you're finding it, uh, let me do a very quick survey. How many of you really struggle to sleep when you're away from home? Anyone struggle to sleep when you're away from home? Uh, A few people. uh, I I can relate massively. Um, I I tell you, uh, I never sleep well when I'm away from home. So this week, uh, heading off to Beirut, uh, I'm going to take earplugs with me. Uh, I'm, I'm only taking hand luggage. I'm going to try and ram in my two pillows into my uh, hand luggage. I'll take sleeping tablets with me. But regardless of all of that, uh, I'm probably going to wake up every couple of hours, uh, look at the clock, kind of groan, roll over, struggle to go back to sleep again. I don't know why it is. I just struggle to sleep when I'm away from home. Um, And at home, it's going to be a different matter though. Uh, I mean, uh, the moment I walk in my front door, I can kind of sit down on my sofa and Helen will be asking me questions and nattering away and I can be just kind of dropping off to sleep. (laughs) uh, 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 The moment I get under my duvet, it's like kind of eyes closed, snoring loudly and uh, sleep is no issue when I'm at home. There's something about the familiarity of everything being around. It's like my, my home is this safe place where I can come and be recharged. You see, home is a place where I'm be myself. Uh, It's where uh, I'm completely known uh, and miraculously, despite being completely known, I'm still loved and accepted for being me and that helps me to find rest. And so no matter how busy things are outside the home, no matter how rough a day I might have had, there is something about being home that helps me to find rest. And I don't think this is a random thing. I think this is another one of those hints or those pictures that God paints in creation to teach us a bit more about what he's like and what he is inviting us into. And I'm not reading something into the scriptures here. Uh, I'm not making this stuff up. What we're going to see in today's passage in Hebrews is the writer uses the word house seven times in just six verses and a bit later on in the passage which we will get to eventually he then relates it to finding rest this connection between being home and finding rest so I'm not reading anything into the passage God's going to say hey listen I want you to grasp something crucially important about my house because if you grasp it in some way it's going to help you find rest. Anyone up for a bit of rest today? Few of you, well keep listening. Let's dive straight in and see what it says in Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him, just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God." Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant, 
But his work was an illustration of the truths that God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Now really, the whole purpose of the book of Hebrews could be summarised, could be condensed down to what it says in verse 1 here. It was written to help us think carefully about this Jesus. As I very quickly, let's recap what we've seen about this Jesus so far in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 1, if you remember, the whole point was that Jesus is superior to angels. Jesus made and sustains the whole world, whereas the angels merely run his errands in the world. Therefore, Jesus is greater. And then in chapter 2, we saw how Jesus took on human flesh to make a way for us to be brought into his family. Wonderful news. It's like the point at every stage of this book is, I want you to think carefully about Jesus. I want you to consider Jesus. Won't you fix your eyes on Jesus? Won't you focus on the true significance of who Jesus is? Which I think kind of begs the question, what on earth are we supposed to be carefully thinking about Jesus from this rather complicated passage that we've just read? Well, the answer is, we're to think deeply about his superiority over Moses. And judging, judging by all the blank expressions that are meeting me right now, it illustrates why we do need to think a little more clearly about this, because we're told that there is something about seeing Jesus' superiority over Moses that in some way will help us be more courageous and confident in our hope in Christ. Are any of you vaguely interested in growing in courage and confidence in Christ yeah, oh, I'm very enthusiastic about this. Well, keep listening. It's, it's going to require a bit of effort to get there, just to warn you, but I'm pretty confident it will be worth it. So hang on in there. Listen carefully. There are two ways that we're told here in which Jesus is superior to Moses uh, that we're told in this passage. They're both to do with God's house. First of all, we're told in verse 3 that Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. Uh, the point is pretty self-explanatory. Moses was a member of the house of God. Jesus built the house. Therefore, Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses. The other way that Jesus is superior to Moses that we see in this passage, it's found in verses 5 and 6, which tell us that Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant, but Christ, as the Son is in charge of God's entire house. In short, Jesus, as God's own son, is superior to Moses because he owns the house of God. He rules the house of God. He's in charge. He provides for the house of God. By comparison, Moses is simply a servant in the house. He doesn't own it. He doesn't rule it. He doesn't provide for it from his own resources. So that's kind of the, the argument in the passage, which is all well and good, but the question still remains, 
why does the writer of Hebrews want his readers to think carefully about this? I mean, what's the issue here? What's the big deal? Well, let me try and explain. Moses, who as I'm sure you're aware, was one of the the great heroes to the Jewish people, and rightly so. He was one of a kind. He had a, a, a way more intimate relationship with God than any of the other prophets seemed to have. So Moses matters. He's significant. But as we've seen, Jesus matters even more. Because although Moses was a true servant of God, Jesus is God's own son. Now, one of the key themes of this whole first section of the book of Hebrews is that God's purpose that he was working out through centuries of Israel's history, including through Moses and through the Exodus, his purpose has reached its pinnacle, has reached its goal, has reached its end destination with Jesus. And so, to then turn away from Jesus and look instead to Moses is very much to go from the greater to the lesser. I mean, why settle just for Moses, the author of Hebrews is asking, when you can have Jesus instead? I mean, it makes no sense at all. That's what some of the readers of this letter were being tempted to do. You see, following Jesus had caused these Jewish Christians to be cut off from their family and cut off from their friends. Their newfound Christian faith had left them feeling pretty bereft, pretty alone, which is why it was necessary to remind them that in Christ they most certainly belong to the house of God and as such are eternally safe and secure. They may have been thrown out of the local synagogue, They may have been cut off from their family and friends. They may not be the most popular people around, but they haven't been cast out by God, which is why it would have been incredibly encouraging for them to be told that Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. It's like embedded... in this passage is this remarkable invitation and this pretty sobering warning, both of which I firmly believe are just as relevant for us today as they were to the first readers of Hebrews. Because although I think it's probably fair to say none of us uh, this morning being tempted to follow Moses instead of Jesus, I don't think that's our issue, is it? Anyone tempted with that? No? No, so on that level, it's not the same. But I think it's fair to say we do still live with the constant temptation, don't we, to either go back to the life we had before we met Jesus or simply to put other things, which might be good things and worthy things, but to put other things before Jesus. I think we're all tempted to do that at times. And so this is relevant for us. Very quickly then, let me unpack the invitation that's being made in these verses, just in case you didn't grasp how amazing it is. Because when I described it earlier, I didn't hear any whoops. Uh, I didn't see any of you break out into spontaneous worship. We maybe need to do a little bit more work to understand how stunning this invitation is. Here we go. The bottom line is, you personally have been invited to God's house. 
You've been invited to God's house. But what is his house? Well, the most first century Jews, they would have thought at once of the temple. They would have thought of a building. Even today, I think a lot of the time, we think of the church as either a building you go to or at least a meeting that you attend. But the profound message of Hebrews is that God's house, God's home, isn't made out of bricks and mortar. It's not a building. It's not a place you go to. It's only not a meeting you attend. No, it's a community of people. God's house is us. What we see here in this passage is that you and I are credited to be part of this house of God. Like, my home isn't ultimately a building down in Kings Norton where I reside. My home is Helen, my wife. My home is Nathan and Joel, my sons. And it doesn't matter if we're in our physical home or if we're camping in a tent at the Catalyst Festival or whatever. My home is with that group of people. And God, in the same way, is saying, look, ultimately, my home isn't a building. My home is a group of people who would trust, who would submit, who would kneel before me and say, be the master of my soul, come into my life, reign in me. And so what's happening here in this text, what's happening in this passage is there's this invitation going out from God to us that he will come and make his home in us and in doing so would provide deep, deep, deep rest for our weary soul. And listen, at the end of the day, everyone knows that we could do with a bit of rest. A bunch of you, even in weariness, ready to hold your hands up earlier and say, yeah, I could do with a bit of rest. It's like the unrest inside us, the unrest of the soul is this driving force behind what almost all of us do constantly, whether it's the acquisition of more wealth or more stuff, the, the, the desire to have more relationships or deeper relationships, the quest to, to gain more social media likes, the push behind almost everything we do is this unrest of our soul that makes us think, if I could just do this, if I could just get this, if I could just get this thing done, then I could sit down and I could rest. But the potentially life-changing message of this passage in Hebrews is that actually you don't have to frantically pursue this and that to find a home, to find a place of refuge, to find rest for your soul. God himself is ready and willing to come in and make his home in us, which means wherever we go, whatever we face, however tough life is, and life can be incredibly tough at times, There can be pain, there can be challenge, there can be difficulty, there can be suffering, but through it all, there is a way for us to constantly be at home with Him. And if we know that God is always with us, well, that provides at least a little bit of the courage and hope we need 
in order to keep persevering to the very end. Now look, all of this is true for us individually. It's true for you individually. However, it's even more true, even more profoundly true for us together. As the Apostle Paul puts it in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Do you see? What both Paul and the writer of the Hebrews here are saying is that a church building is completely irrelevant, which is why we can meet here in a school. The building doesn't matter one bit. It's the people themselves who are the place where God is now deciding to live. You know, I think we can be way too quick to individualize all the promises of Scripture. Like, you as an individual are a temple of the Holy Spirit which is true, but that is not the emphasis in these passages. It's more a case of all of us together being a temple of the Holy Spirit that God lives in. It's not about kind of one individual brick lying on the ground all by itself that people look at and go, wow, what an impressive brick. No, it's more a picture of a whole bunch of bricks slowly but surely being joined together, rising to form a dwelling place for God. When people see that community, they say, wow, that is some serious temple. Listen, the living God is now seeking to make his home in the hearts and the lives, in the communities of believers who have declared their loyalty to Jesus and are determined to live together by the gospel. In other words, we are not simply individual members of the church. No, together, and really only together, We form the community in which the living God is delighted to come and take up residence. And so, this is the invitation that goes out from God Almighty to you, to us today. Come home. Won't you come home? Won't you come and find rest. Would would you come to this place where you can be known completely and still be loved and accepted? Won't you come and be part of this community that I've chosen to make my home? God would say, come to this place where you don't have to pretend anymore. Come and be made whole. Come home. Is this really, really stunning invitation that is then immediately followed by a pretty stark warning. In verse 6 it says this, we are God's house. 
which I hope I've helped you see, is stunningly good news. Stunningly good news. We are God's house if, so it's conditional on something, if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. That is why the Holy Spirit says, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There, your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them. And I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. And so, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of, what's the word? Rest. They will never enter my place of rest. Now this part of the passage is referencing one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament and the writer is comparing it to the same thing that occurs in the hearts of believers really even to this very day. So in the time that remains here's what I want to do. Very quickly I want to unpack the story that's being referred to here then I want to kind of lay it on top of our lives to help us see if there may possibly, maybe, perhaps, be any parallels in all of this for us today. So, the story that the writer of the Hebrews is reminding them of, it's a story that you may well be familiar with, it's a story where God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. He led them, if you remember, through the Red Sea, destroying the Egyptian army in the process, leads them right up to the edge, right to the brink of the promised land, which was going to be this phenomenal place of rest for them. And God says, look, I've got this incredible new home for you. I've got this land of rest, this land of safety, this land of plenty where you're going to prosper, and I'm just going to give it to you as a free gift. And so, because they were slightly suspicious, the people of Israel send 12 spies into the promised land to see whether what God was saying was actually true. And eventually, the 12 spies return back, and two of them are going, look, you're not going to believe this. It's even better than we expected or imagined. I mean, it's phenomenal. It's breathtaking. It's stunning. And God's going to give it to us. I mean, it's amazing. You should come and see it for yourselves. God is so good. And tell them they're going, "Uh, actually, I don't think so. I mean, the people over there are really very tall. I mean, that's the story. I mean, that's the excuse that they come up with. And so God's going, um, uh, yeah, do you remember the other week when I wiped out the entire Egyptian army? I think I've got this one. And he's sort of going, yeah, yeah, but the Egyptians were only like five foot nine. These guys are like over six foot. Uh, I, I'm not so sure, God, whether you can handle the six footers. Really? Like height? was the issue for them, like they're tall, I don't think you can handle it God, and God's going no, 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 just remember a few weeks back, I can handle this, really trust me, I've got this one covered, and then they go but okay, there's also a river that we need to get across first, and, and God, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, it's pretty deep, and God's like, river? You just walked through an entire ocean. 
You just walked through the sea. I just divided the sea and you walked through on dry ground and now you're bringing up the river? And so eventually, God goes, okay, all right, fine. If that's how you want it, have it your way. You, you can spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And even after his people say no thank you to this glorious invitation to this amazing new home and they do end up wandering around in the desert even there God is still blessing them in really powerful ways like when they get hungry bread just appears on the ground and birds just drop out of the sky so they can eat them every day there was this other occasion when they have no water and they were desperately thirsty and God tells Moses just to strike this rock and water starts gushing out of it so they can all drink it's like God's providing in these really miraculous ways and for whatever reason, they cannot even see it. Even in their wandering, God's providing, and they can't see it, and they begin to grumble and complain. I mean, can you believe that? Church members grumbling and complaining? I mean, who would have thought? Anyway, God's providing in all these amazing ways, and they're going, no, 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 God hates us. They're in this really strange place, where their hearts have grown so hard that they can't even see that God continues to bless them even in their disobedience. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying to these first century believers, hey listen, this story that you're so familiar with, it plays itself out over and over and over and over again. And so he pleads with them and us saying, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Now, this is where I think this lands for us as a church. There are churches out there that are kind of really heavy on legalism. They're really heavy on dutifully following all of these rules and you're never quite good enough and however well you perform, there's always another hurdle for you to get across and it's laws and it's regulations and it's rules and there's not a whole lot of joy in it. And then there are churches like Church Central that preach a message of grace that our standing before God isn't dependent on our performance, that nothing we could do could make God love us more or less than He already does, that our salvation from beginning to end is a complete and utter free gift. It is all of God's grace, which is breathtakingly good news. But sadly, what can happen when God's grace is rightly emphasized in this way is people are tempted to not ever really deal with their sin, to continue walking in it. Because, hey, at the end of the day, God's going to forgive me anyway. So they come every week and they're challenged with the beauty of the grace of God, only to head home and start looking at porn or getting drunk or embezzling the inland revenue. And so you've got this problem. You've got all these people who Jesus is trying to lead out of bondage 
into freedom, into a place of hope and life and rest. All these people who he's trying to bring to a place of rest who'll use grace perversely to stay in their bondage, who use grace to not actually deal with their sin. I mean, why bother doing anything about it if Jesus will keep loving me the same anyway? Well, according to the writer of Hebrews, here's why you should be bothered about this. If you consistently ignore what God says, you'll end up with a heart that is hardened towards Him. You'll end up being blind to His kindness. You'll end up not seeing His grace at work in and around you. And so, over time, you'll end up losing your courage and your confidence in your hope in Christ. And before you know it, you'll find yourself outside His house and without a whole lot of rest. So here's what the text is saying. Because of all of this, today, if you hear His voice, when you hear God say, let's walk away from this way of thinking. Hey, why don't you walk away from this harmful, destructive behavior? Hey, you, you need to swallow your pride and confess and get some help for this. When you hear God say that, do what he says. When you apply it immediately, don't put it off. Don't think that you know best. Don't just continually justify your actions. Don't just, in a blasé way, assume you'll be fine if you ignore it. Take action. Because keep in mind, what God's doing is standing in the doorway and inviting you to come in and sit down and find rest. Come in and find rest for your soul. And so today, if you hear that voice, please don't ignore it, because in the end, God's trying to take you deeper into rest, deeper into joy, deeper into hope. Now look, I know that if you're stuck in some perpetual cycle or pattern of sin right now, all of this can be difficult to believe, because everything tells us that this is the worst possible thing you could do, to actually deal with it, to confess, to tell someone, to try to break out of it, well, is is doomed to failure. There's a voice in your head saying that the worst possible thing would be to confess. The worst possible thing would be to try to get help because then others might not think you've got it all together. Wake up. Actually, you don't. You don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. Why do we want to live a lie? I mean, that's a horrible place to live. So today, if you hear his voice, will you say yes? Will you say yes to effectively wading across the river? Will you say yes to fighting the giants? Will you say yes to going into rest? Will you choose to say yes to being at home with God? where you've got nothing to prove, where there's total acceptance, total love, and total freedom.
will you say yes or will you say no because if you say no there's a danger that you might end up wandering around in the wilderness and even though even in the wilderness God still might be showing grace God still might be blessing you over time your ability to see it will be diminished because of your hardened heart so in this passage there's an incredible invitation come home come close and find rest come and be loved come find hope but there's also a warning because if you hear his voice and ignore what he says you run the very real risk of finding yourself separated from him wandering around in a wilderness lost and restless no i don't know maybe this message isn't landing in a good place with you maybe you're struggling with what i'm saying because i'm talking about home and the illustration i gave earlier about home being this place i can walk in the door and there's rest maybe that's not your experience maybe home for you has always been a bit of a nightmare i mean maybe this isn't particularly motivating for you me, me talking about this safe place of home and rest because home is the complete opposite for you at the moment maybe historically home has been this terrifying place for you maybe actually secretly it's the, it's the last place you want to be but stay with me on this let me ask you if if maybe in the past you, you you've had a tough time in, in your family maybe even now you're, you're having some challenges in your marriage maybe you struggle because you're not in a relationship. Maybe for you, home is a pretty lonely place. My question is, how do you feel being around a couple or a family who look like everything's rosy in their relationship, everything's rosy in their marriage or their family life? I think, if we're being honest, we can feel this mixture, can't we, of hatred and jealousy. <laughs> You know they're all romantic and in love and you're struggling so you're like i hate them and i wish i could be them it's this funny weird mixture or maybe if you grew up in a home that was pretty challenging maybe pretty dark maybe you were ignored or maybe you were abused or maybe it's like you just didn't exist while you were there you ever have friends that Sometimes you went over to their house and the family are eating a meal around the table and they're chatting and the parents are saying, son, we really love you. And you didn't even know people did that. And you're like, what is this magical land I found myself in? I mean, where am I? What is this place? And you kind of wanted to go, hey, do you want another son? Do you want another daughter? I, I mean, I'll, I'll do all your washing up for you. I'll do all your cleaning and your ironing. If you'll just let me hang out here, if you maybe just adopt me and let me part of your family too. <coughs> now look, the great thing about Jesus and the house that was created for us is he just so happens to be in the adoption business. 
What's more, he tends to love adopting people from really broken, pretty dysfunctional homes. Like, if you don't believe me, take a walk through the Bible and see that the people he was at home with, see Jesus being called a friend of sinners, see how in the Old Testament the people God raised up and used were like adulterers, murderers, rapists, and a bunch more murderers. It's like God seems to have a thing for murderers. So have a broken your background. There is this home for this soul, this place of rest, even for you. So please don't disqualify yourself. This can be a place that can be home for you, that you can put down roots and discover rest. Now hopefully you're interested. Now maybe you're sitting there going, okay, how do I get this rest? I can relate to some of what you're saying, Jonathan, I feel a bit unsettled inside, I I could do with a bit of rest right now. Maybe this is your, your first time here, maybe you've been coming for a little while, but something I've said, it's kind of resonating with you. And in just a few moments, I'm going to pray for us And while I'm praying, maybe a first step would be for you to simply say, Jesus, would you help me find this rest? I invite you to say that, pray that to Jesus. But I'm guessing that perhaps for most of us, probably, if we're willing to be honest, we need to repent of some things. Maybe for those of us in the room who know Jesus already, Perhaps he's been asking us to to walk a certain way or not walk a certain way and we've kind of been resistant, we've kind of been ignoring what he's been saying. Now it doesn't matter how big or how small that thing is, the message today couldn't be clearer. Today, right here, right now, if you hear his voice, please do not harden your heart. Because we're God's house. We're this wonderful community where we can come in and be known and yet still be loved with no pretense, this place where we get to know true rest, if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Do you hear that? The evidence, the giveaway, the sign that we're part of the household of God is that we refuse to throw away our hope. And so in the words of Hebrews 10.35, do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. At the end of the day, becoming a Christian and being a Christian, I happen in the same way, by hoping in Jesus. A kind of hoping that produces confidence and boasting in Christ and a perseverance to the very end. So maybe today we just need to repent, because Jesus has been asking some things of us that for whatever reason we've been unwilling to give him. And he's been asking us to acknowledge some things we perhaps just are unwilling to acknowledge. Perhaps he's been asking us to walk a certain direction we've refused. He's asked us to walk away from something, we just keep saying no to him. Maybe we're abusing his grace and just thinking it will all be fine. Or maybe we've jettisoned our confidence in him. We're finding it hard to trust that he knows best right now. 
But listen, the travesty in all of this is that ultimately you're robbing yourself of joy and rest. So once again, his word to you today would simply be this. Come home. Won't you come home? Let's pray.